This is Bobby Guy with the 10-Minute Health BizCast. This is album three, track four. talked about how we arrived at the current system of paying for U.S. healthcare. Now I'd like to talk about the evolution of providers in modern U.S. healthcare. In a narrative told in the book, The Great Influenza, Johns Hopkins Medical Center in Baltimore was created in the late 1800s as an attempt to bring modern medicine and medical training to the U.S. The U.S. was trying to catch up with medical advances happening in Europe. Johns Hopkins represents a central tenet of thinking about healthcare that when it comes to innovation and improving healthcare, hospitals are the bedrock of the system. This is where we train our doctors and nurses. This is where we develop the newest treatments. This is where we go to get well. This is where we go to get x-rays and MRIs done by big machines. And this is where we keep our medical records. Before Johns Hopkins and the expansion of hospitals across the U.S., healthcare was much more about house calls. Most healthcare was delivered in the home. But for the last century, hospitals have been at the center of care. A friend of mine calls them the healthcare equivalent of the great libraries of Egypt, where all the knowledge of the classical world was stored. As hospitals have proliferated in the U.S., especially since the 1940s, most states have regulated the geographic distribution of hospitals using a system called Certificates of Need, or CONs. A state allows a certain number of hospital or skilled nursing beds, consistent with population in a geographic area, typically a county or parish. Similar to utilities, healthcare providers have been treated as a highly regulated industry, and by setting up sanctioned territories with appropriate competition but not hyper-competition, healthcare providers can be financially stable and avoid insolvency, goes the thinking. The healthcare world has changed dramatically, with successful advances in technology accelerating the change in recent years. This has changed the dynamics around healthcare. In addition, the demographics of the U.S. have changed significantly. We've had a large population shift from rural areas to the cities over the last several decades. The result is that CON laws have not been enough to keep the rural hospital network viable. Small rural hospitals have difficulty keeping up with expensive technology and with attracting talent. And they've been struggling since at least the mid-1990s when I started practicing law. In addition, even for the best-funded urban hospitals, competition has become a major issue. Many services that used to require a trip to the hospital can now be provided outside of the hospital. In fact, you could almost describe the last 30 years as the disaggregation or the disassembly of the 20th century hospital one piece at a time. Many surgeries, CT scans, and kidney dialysis procedures all had to be performed at hospitals, but no more. Instead, these services are now often provided in new settings, like outpatient surgery centers, outpatient diagnostic and imaging centers, and outpatient dialysis centers. Healthcare used to be about bricks and mortar, but it's becoming more and more an ecosystem without walls, especially after the pandemic with the growth of telemedicine and healthcare. We're now hearing echoes of history as we move from a hospital-based environment back to a home-based environment when it's feasible. You'll hear in our last track on album three about why there will always be a very important place for hospitals in our system. But for now, what's important to understand 
is that the role that hospitals play in delivering healthcare has been shifting for years and it continues to shift. One of my favorite stories about the hospital market is a case I handled as a young lawyer in the 1990s. I represented a large hospital system that was managing a small rural hospital for the county. Under the management contract, which, I should add, was already old when it got to me and was drafted before the days of word processing, my client had the option to buy the county hospital and build a brand new hospital in the county. When we tried to do that, the county sued alleging all sorts of crazy theories hoping that something would stick. It made absolutely no sense to me. That is, until I was in the court clerk's office one day, filing something, and I got to talking to the clerk. It turned out that the current hospital was in Town A, but the brand new hospital my client was going to build was going to be in Town B, and the two towns were football rivals on a level worthy of Friday Night Lights. Hospitals, you see, are the source of significant civic pride, even if they're small and outdated and practically obsolete. And your football rival can't get one when you're losing one. This is a lesson I took to heart. It's a lesson that helped me understand the trials and travails of the Burger Commission report in New York a number of years later. What's the Burger Commission? In the mid-2000s, New York State realized that it had too many hospital beds in many metropolitan hospitals, and the Burger Commission was a group created by the state to write a study about how to resolve the problem. The commission recommended closing a number of hospitals across the state, which would then lead to sustainable financial performance of the remaining hospitals. The Burger Commission report quickly became a political hot potato in New York, because the hospitals that it proposed closing provided local jobs and were sources of local pride. The report was probably spot on, and some of the commission's recommendations were adopted, but others were simply too challenging politically. So hospitals are now a big part of healthcare, but not necessarily the center of it. There are lots of other ways that we deliver healthcare services. I want to give you a model for thinking about all of those different services. I like to think of healthcare providers as falling into seven categories. These are primary care, acute care, post-acute care, senior living, chronic care, behavioral care, and finally life sciences. These are not perfect categories, but they tend to provide a good way to think about healthcare services and the way we've evolved. First, we have primary care. This includes doctor's offices, urgent care facilities, community health centers, dentists and dental care, and all sorts of well care, like nutritionist practices, for example. One of the major trends in healthcare in the last 30 years has been the consolidation of doctor practices. Just recently, we've reached the tipping point where less than 50% of doctors work in independent doctor practices. Instead, they're employed by hospitals or a part of major roll-ups of physician practices by billing management companies. We'll talk more about this trend later on this album. Second, we have acute care, which is primarily hospitals and also includes facilities like surgery centers, 24-hour emergency rooms, and the like. Third, we have post-acute care, an area that we've begun to recognize comprehensively in the last decade, and a term that probably wasn't used much before then. Post-acute care tends to include therapy and physical rehab, home health, hospice, LTAC facilities, and similar services usually where people are recovering from acute events. Fourth, we have senior living and residential care, 
which includes nursing homes, all sorts of memory care, assisted living, and independent living. In senior living, the biggest change of the last 50 years has been the shift from nursing homes to lifestyle opportunities. Elder care outside of the home used to be almost entirely skilled nursing, but now the field of senior living comprises multiple levels of care, including continuing care retirement communities, where people have the opportunity to change care levels on the same campus throughout the last decades of their life. Senior living has become much more about community and experience and lifestyle, and much less about the skilled nursing experience often portrayed in movies, like maybe Say Anything or Bubba Hotep. Fifth, we have chronic care, where we're doing disease management and taking care of chronic conditions like diabetes and obesity and cancer. This can be done in a number of settings, and it can overlap with some of the other categories. But it's important to recognize that our healthcare system traditionally has been much more about acute care than chronic care. It's one of the reasons why we still typically pay for each healthcare visit like it's an isolated transaction. Sixth, we have behavioral care, where we're taking care of psychiatric conditions and addictions. If you discuss psychiatric care in the 1970s, people immediately thought about the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was the dark ages of psychiatric care, and it was the institutionalization of behavioral patients before the advent of modern drug regimens. Behavioral care, as we now call it, is a rapidly expanding area of care, providing huge improvements in quality of life, and we've destigmatized psychiatric struggles so that people can now be more open about them. COVID has had a huge impact on the psychiatric health of the American public, and you can expect this to be a continually growing sector of healthcare. Finally, we have the life sciences, which consist of pharmaceuticals, biotech, medical devices, and healthcare technology. When you look at the market capitalization of healthcare companies, most of it is here, especially in pharmaceuticals. The life sciences dwarf all other healthcare services combined when it comes to market capitalization on the public markets. In fact, the life sciences aren't really even considered healthcare services because the companies aren't actually delivering care to patients. They're making the products that make care better. But I include them as a category here because the life sciences are critical to how we deliver healthcare. They've changed modern lives dramatically. For example, where would we be without antibiotics? So many conditions we used to have to treat in hospitals and that required invasive surgeries can now be handled with a prescription for a very targeted pharmaceutical. And think about diabetes. It can now be monitored steadily without large machines or even finger pricks in some cases. Each of these seven subsectors of healthcare is integrally involved in the advance of healthcare. Over the course of additional albums on the Health BizCast, we'll explore each in greater depth as we have on albums one and two. Now, having talked through the modern history of U.S. healthcare, on our next track, we move to the foundations of fixing U.S. healthcare. This has been the 10 Minute Health BizCast, broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us.